Welcome to today's episode of the Bench to Boardroom podcast. I am your host, Cynthia Steele. And today's guest is Dr. Karen Torahan, who is the Chief Scientific Officer and founder of Humonics Biosciences. Humonics originally started as a company called Glauconics because their original goal was focused primarily on tissues related to glaucoma. But as you'll hear, they uh, have since expanded their offerings to include other tissues in the body. And it's a really fascinating platform on which to start a company. So uh, you'll hear my conversation with Karen about that for a minute. Uh, Karen also has a, a PhD in tissue engineering and nanotechnology. Personally, anything that begins with the word nano, I find to be very impressive. And she, uh, she talks a lot about the importance of mentorship during her PhD. Interestingly, Karen had a different experience than my previous guests in that she had very supportive mentors and she had very supportive female mentors in particular. And so she talks a little bit about how that has changed her approach to leadership and how she guides her teams. Also importantly, I've been told that there's a number of concerns or questions from those of you out there, maybe in a similar predicament, about how one can extract their intellectual property or their IP from their university so that they can start their own company as well. So I specifically asked Karen about that, and you'll hear that as well. Uh, little note, towards the end, we do start encountering some technical difficulties with regards to the sound quality. We are still a little baby seedling of a podcast. We're still learning and we're still uh, adapting. So please continue to have patience with us as uh, we encounter these little changes and things that need to be done and um, yeah, try to make them better. So anyway, without further ado, Dr. Karen Torhan. I think, okay, yeah, we're recording. Okay. Awesome. Dr. Karen Torhan, welcome to the Bench to Boardroom podcast. Thank you, Cynthia, for having me. This is great. I mean, we, we haven't talked in a while, so it's this is a great opportunity also for me to chat with you. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me and thinking of me. Of course, I think your your story is incredibly inspirational. And and I agree, the, the people I've interviewed so far, we've all said, we need to do this more often. Like we don't talk nearly enough socially, you know, and, um, and particularly about things related to um, industry and related to career. And so this is this is really wonderful to just get a chance to catch up with you as well. Yeah, and I commend you for doing this. I mean, this type of podcast, I think it's going to be very helpful for a lot of uh, people. And, and like you said, it's very unique. I think there is a niche, but it's only growing, right, of people yeah. that are deciding um, that are going through the path of academia, but yet they have this pivot and they end up into industry or they're even curious about it. So I'm really excited that you're doing this. So, so thank, thank you, you for having me here, I guess. Of course. So why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, sure. I'm Karen Torahon. Um, and, um, what else would you like me to say about myself? I mean, would you, I can give you a bit of an intro. Um, well, um, I did my doctorate degree in nanoscale engineering um, and right. focusing on tissue engineering in the University at Albany and in, New, in the State University of New York in Albany. And um, before that, I worked really heavily in cancer research. So actually, I thought I was going to get my PhD in cancer research, and I was really excited about that. 
but you know life has a different <laughs> sometimes push, puts you in different paths and I ended up doing a lot of eye research which I'm really grateful and and you know I it, it was a great opportunity for me and I've learned so much so um, but still in the back of uh, I guess my little toolbox I have a lot of cancer research um, background as well um, mm -hmm. and my degree actually was in uh, physics and chemistry and uh, yeah I, I I ended up doing a lot of tissue engineering and, and uh, founding a company you know really for the love of science I guess I just followed the science and it led me to 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 starting a company so I think that's a little bit about myself. Hopefully that was a good intro, so. Yes, definitely. I, I love how you said that because we talk about following the science all the time, right? You know, you, uh, or we used to call it the slaying of a beautiful hypothesis with an ugly truth. I mean, if the, the, the data is telling you something, you just have to be open-minded enough to, to listen to it and, and follow, follow the science. I, I love that. So then, um, where were you doing cancer research? Was that also at SUNY Albany? Yes. So actually I started, I didn't think, you know, first of all, I didn't think I was going to do, I didn't even know what a PhD was, right? I didn't know what that meant, like in the science field. I came from, you know, my family, um, it's mostly women, right, um, from Peru. And my family was very like, you have to either be a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant, right? Because those are the only, <laughs> I feel like, three main so I never heard of being no and or any of that. Um, and uh, when I went to undergraduate, I was fortunate enough to um, get into an internship right off my freshman year, right? And um, and I got paired up with um, a professor who happened to be an expert in the field, and he was very well respected. He was a KOL. He actually had started a company. He had uh, several patents and drugs that had been already in the market, and they were developing new drugs um, for cancer. And um, and I ended up working with them uh, in this lab. And uh, at the end of it, of course, all the interns that were there, they ended up leaving. But um, they ended up asking me if I would like to stay and, you know, write papers and work with them. So that was actually where my first, I guess, now that I think back, my first intro into not only science, but also the business side, because I was able to see how, um, you know, the business, uh, how to do um, research for the sake of not only research, but bringing it out um, out of, of the lab, right? Become creating a product and uh getting ip around it and all this so actually it was um it was there where i started and then decided to, okay well let's give this phd a try i worked in that lab for about five years or so so even after i graduated like even aside doing my undergraduate i was working there as a part-time so it was actually a lot of um and 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 the person the 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 person who ran the lab right um he was a great great mentor of, of mine i remember him telling me you know no matter what you do just try to be the best at it right no matter what it is he's like and and i was like oh okay he's like i'm serious because even if you want to be a clown go be a clown but be the best clown you want to be <laughs> and then the best one and then you're going to get all you know it's it's just going to be so much it, it, it that's really what's going to give you the, the 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 i guess the push to continue and and it's really going to give you that um 
what am I, the word I'm thinking really is just, um, it's just going to be so much more rewarding when you're trying the best sure. at whatever it is. So I remember, yeah. you know, always thinking of that and, and that's, it still sticks to me after this date. So, um, uh, that's how everything started. And I worked with in this lab for, you know, not just as an undergraduate researcher, but also as a, as a technician, as a researcher there even. Um, and yeah. uh, it was great. And there I decided, you know what, I, uh, I want to get my PhD. So that's amazing. So uh, a couple of things I want to dig into there. So the first one being that you went to undergrad and graduate school at the same university. And as you know, typically people say you, you want to go to different colleges and different universities. And so, but clearly you just, you were working with the right person and you guys gelled really well. And so is, is, is his mentorship really the reason why you decided to stay? Absolutely. It, it really was. Um, and okay. um, um, really, and you know, I just I, I thought about applying to other places and uh, at that point when you look at nanotechnology and, and you know for biotech I guess um, Albany and especially in SUNY Albany the College of Nanoscale Science and Engineering was leading the way and they were getting I mean they still are um, getting a lot of money to really start this um, you know the 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 College of Nanoscale Science and Engineering. Um, large mm -hmm. companies like, you know, a lot of large semiconductor companies are there. And, um, you know, it just felt like it was the right place to be, even though I did want it to leave. I, I heard everybody telling you, you should leave for grad school and you should try to pick another school that's, you know, not a state school. But I decided to stay for that reason. And also I had this mentor and we talked about if I stayed, perhaps I could get my PhD with this person. But it you know, it didn't work out that way, um, but yeah. I'm grateful because I ended up working in the in the eye side, and and you know I got to learn a lot, and and um, yeah, so that's that's how so my cool. my staying. I some we joke around with some of my friends like they call me a SUNY girl because I you know went to undergraduate here and I went to graduate school here and now we have the company here that it's within the campus. You know, SUNY campus is its own. Uh, space. We have our own area, but it's still, you know, fairly close to the SUNY area. So it's, um, it's really funny. That's awesome. That's awesome. We were, we're going to talk in a little bit more about uh, your company in a bit, but I want to, I, I really love this idea because my previous guests all had mentors who were not at all enthusiastic about their transition to industry, you know, and um, maybe we, we, we all went to the same school. We, we all knew each other from graduate school. So um, maybe that was just a theme there, but, it, but it's something that I hear about a lot, you know, that PIs want their students, especially their, their star pupils, like, like apparently you were, you know, they want them to follow in their footsteps and kind of continue the legacy of the research that they're building. And so you have the opposite. You have someone who is just very supportive of you and your dreams and where you wanted to take your research. I, I think that's phenomenal. Yeah, I actually have the complete opposite right uh, experience than what you mentioned. Um, all of the mentors mm -hmm. I've had had been extremely supportive of it. In fact, they were the ones that saying, you should do this, you could do this. And, you know, it's been for everything. I'm really grateful about that. Um, I was uh, in my 
during my PhD, my advisors were actually two women. Um, and it's interesting, they always, uh, the, my lab mates always joke around because they call me the, the inbred child because you're not really, you usually have one advisor, right? One mentor, but I had two. So they're like, oh, you know, okay. how come, I don't know if that should be cut out. <laughs> But they're like, you know, you, you know, it's, you have two. And, uh, and then, you know, it was, I, it was great for me. I got to work with two very smart, strong women. And to me, that really supported me. I mean, to the point that I still talk to them. Like I, I would still, we'd still talk about everything. I mean, science from science to the kids and like, you know, I sometimes go to them, do you know what, what do you do with your kids when they, they have this sickness or this and that? I still feel so comfortable to go up to them and talk about anything. And they've been extremely, extremely supportive for everything. So in that sense, I consider myself very fortunate um, and grateful. That's amazing. Yeah. That Honestly, I, I'm, I'm just thinking about this and it's very remarkable that you had very, very supportive women that you worked with. And um, I, I won't name names, but there was a certain PI in graduate school um, who reminded us very much of Miranda Priestly in The Devil Wears Prada because not, not necessarily in her attitude, although she did have a very high opinion of herself, but she had this tendency to click clack down the hall in her high heels and you could hear them getting closer and we would all sit up a little straighter and look a little more productive, you know, and I mean, it was, it was one of those things and I, I got the impression and I got the impression of this from a number of women um, at the university where I trained. Um, a lot of them had this attitude of they kind of had to be hard, you know, and they had to be tough and they worked really hard. And I give all of them an insane amount of credit for making it in a man's world, let's face it, you know, but they, they really felt like they had to be tough and hard and have a thick skin and, and build these walls, you know, and they were kind of training us in that same realm, you know, we had to develop a thick skin. The problem was, and maybe this is one of the reasons why I left academics, but uh, insulting me does not give me a thick skin. It makes me want to dive into a pint of Ben and Jerry's. Like, and that's <laughs> this exactly true. I mean, I told you my advice was her great, but I did have my, I did have my fair share of experiences like that as well, you know? Um, and I think, sure. and I, and as much as I want to think this was horrible. And at that moment I was like very afraid of why would you do that? And then I, you know, this is people that would even after knowing what they did, they said, I just want to make sure you understand that staying in science means that you have to really grow some thick skin, right? You need to make sure that you really are, you know, stand up for yourself. And, uh, and they made it clear. I mean, they said it straight like that. Um, not my advisors, but other, uh, um, other people that I had around me that also advised me. Um, and I took it in a positive way, right? I think that it really, they even, I, it made me feel really pushed me to not really pay attention so much about the negativity, but really look at the positive, right? The fact that now I didn't feel that way necessarily to begin with, because the things they told me about, right, is that they were 
really treated, even though they were the best in their class, they were treated the worst just because they were women or they were diminished so much that they felt like they had to prove something. Um, and to me, that was, you know, I felt very fortunate that I didn't have to go through that. I never really felt um, that way. And, um, and I've heard the stories. I mean, they're terrible. <laughs> And, and these people way, were way, way smarter than their peers that were not females, you know, and uh, yet they were treated as if they, you know, really, really low. So, yeah. uh, but I, I, I like to take it as a positive that, uh, you know, I didn't feel that way and, I, and I'm grateful. And even if someone tried to make me feel that way, I took it more as a positive. I'm like, okay, let's put that behind. I understand what they went through. Now let's focus on what I have to do, right? Again, I'm trying to do the best that I can on whatever situation, whatever I decide to do. So um, yeah. I agree and, and it's terrible. I mean, cause I, I feel really bad about all the things that I heard and um, it's, it's just, it, it's sad. Um, but on the bright side, I think I'm seeing that that's changing, you know, it's changing more and more, at least I'm hopeful. Um, so hopefully a lot of the viewers, um, are having a better experience than a lot of these women have had. I hope so. And, and it, it is cyclical, right? Because again, they felt like they had it hard in grad school, probably because their mentors, especially if they were female mentors, they had it even harder. So they feel like, you know, we, they need to toughen up the next generation and the next generation. So um, I guess for any of my listeners out there, you could be the one to break that cycle. You know, you don't, you don't have to train people the same way your mentor trained people, you know, and, and I'm sure now in your company, um, I do want to ask like how, how do you find that having that experience then um, changes how you uh, deal with the, with uh, your direct reports? Like, how do you mentor the scientists in your company? And do you think and do you think that was shaped by how you were mentored by these women? I I think so. I mean, I I'm always trying to be very positive, right? And look at the positive mm -hmm. side of things and sometimes we lack because we're so focused on that little part of science that we're working on and we're like oh this didn't work but it's like okay let's look at what is the positive out of that um let's move on and not focus so much on that one failure let's, let's move on and focus on what can be done how can we fix it and i think that's important for industry at least you know because if you if something's going to go wrong if something if, let's say a drug's going to fail or something's going to go you know south even though you don't like mm -hmm. to say that um you want to make sure that it happens fast because you're dealing with you know millions and millions of dollars that are taking place so mm -hmm. you want to make sure that if something's going to fail if you have an indication that something's going to fail it's okay just know that it's you know we're going to move on to the next thing and you're probably saving a ton of money to that company that that you know eventually was going to spend a lot of money on clinical trials but you're saving the yeah. money in the end um so don't focus so much on 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 that negative result that you see but focus on at the end that's actually that's a good thing you know so uh -huh. so i think yes. it, and also just being very supportive because we have you know a lot of us have um families as well so we want to make sure that we're creating a uh, space that is open to that as well being mindful of that um especially for those of us who you know are women um so yeah no absolutely out of curiosity because i like i like asking my guests this question oh, when you were in school and when those tough days came what was your 
give it all up, throw it away and run off and do something else? What was that dream job? Oh my goodness. Oh God. Yes. I mean, I definitely remember those days crying at midnight, two in the morning in the lab because something didn't work. And I would have mm -hmm. loved, I mean, if I didn't do science, I would have loved to um, have a little cafe and just like, you know, do export import of coffee and like, just, I yeah. would love that. And uh, I actually mm -hmm. have a cousin who does that. He lives in Finland and he goes to Peru. He travels to all the different areas on the Andes and, and the Amazon. And he actually gets to try the coffee, gets to do all these things, then brings the best to um, his, you know, his cafe. And uh, I always thought that would be so cool. Um, so I would cool. get all the coffee I wanted, good coffee. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that would have been, that, you know, there's it so time. Really maybe eventually I'll retire to that. I would maybe. love to do that. Yeah. When, when you're not needed at Humanics on a day to day, you know, then uh, this could be, but there you go. You open the cafe at the lower level, like right next to Humanics. So that way people can still come yes. and see you. But, you That's know. a good idea. That's a great idea. <laughs> hmm. I actually have a, a clinician who I visit from time to time in San Francisco, and he actually is like a, I think if he wasn't an ophthalmologist, he would probably have been a real estate developer because he just loves that kind of a thing. And he, um, like he bought a couple of apartments in his building and rehabbed them and rented them out. And, and so essentially he bought the building where his clinic is in and he rehabbed the area where his clinic is and it, it's beautiful. But then on the bottom, he put in like a bar restaurant and it, I, I think it's brilliant because first of all, it gives his patients a place to go. You know, we're running really behind. Why don't you, here's, here's a, you know, here's a voucher. You can go down, grab a cup of coffee and we'll let you know when we're ready for you or, you know, or, you know, you just need to stop somewhere for lunch or whatever. It's right there. And he gets along swimmingly with those people. And I always thought that was such a clever idea. Yeah, no, I, I, I know exactly who you're talking about. And I always thought, yep. great. That's I figured you would. Um, so then I guess, uh, let me see. So I guess my next question then would be once you're, so I guess, let me start with this. How did you transition then from cancer to ophthalmology? Um, well, in grad school, I kept continue working in that lab, but we couldn't get, because this, this, um, this lab was not within the SUNY, uh, uh, university. Mm -hmm. So, um, I couldn't continue. I couldn't do my PhD with, with, um, with the, the, the person in charge of the lab, I guess, that I was working at. So I had okay. to find another advisor and uh, I found an advisor. I actually was not enjoying it so much. Um, it was, I, and all of a sudden I got an email from my actual advisors who ended up being my, my uh, PhD, my dissertation chairs. Um, and she said, well, we're looking, I've been in discussions with some people at SUNY Downstate. They have a project for the eye. I'm not an expert, but I think you'll be great at it. And I'm like, you know what? Um, let's meet. So we met um, and I thought it was great. You know, I, 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 I was up for the challenge. They were very upfront. We've mm -hmm. never really worked so much in the eye before. So this is going to be new. Um, and we think that you can take on this you know, new venture really, because they, they never, they didn't know if it was going to work or not. And uh, so, and then I had to go and tell the other lab I 
couldn't stay there and that was actually tough they didn't take it very well in fact i was told that i never that i didn't know what to do and that you know that i'm probably very immature because of that you know it was all sorts of things um and uh they apologize after but i know you know talk about academia being very you know um so but i'm glad i did i'm glad that i didn't let that stop me from leaving that lab and continue you know i'm sure it would have been great if i stayed there but i'm really i'm happy with the decision i made of really move on to this other lab so yeah okay good good yeah i mean it sounds like it was the right move for you and then i guess in a sense when when you transitioned to a lab where you didn't really know much about the topic i mean that that really says something about saying yes to opportunities, even if you don't feel like you have expertise in it. Yeah. You know, it's a little outside your comfort zone, but maybe you should still say yes anyway. I, I completely agree. I think, you know, you really need to make sure that you're not afraid of saying yes to things that you're not comfortable with. Just, you know, when it comes to opportunities like that, um, because I mean, in the way to see it too, is what's the worst that can happen? you know it's okay i will still you know you can still get a phd even with some of the negative data you'll still get something out of it and you know you'll still be able to sure. move on um you know you may not publish as many papers but you will still be able to learn and so i took it as this is an opportunity let's let's take it so um and and let's see what happens because you just never know that's yeah yeah so then um i guess let's let's move on to uh, what first started as Glauconics and is now known as Humonics. So you started, you started the company before you defended or right around that same time? How did, how did that timeline yes, work out? So I was technically already done, but I haven't, I had, okay. I didn't defend it yet. Um, so I kind of was okay. with Humonics. In fact, I had written already a grant that, uh, you know, that got, um, funded and everything. It was the first grant I ever wrote. And, uh, you know, it was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I got it. You know, this, th that was just, um, and then being able to, and so then while I, we already started Glauconics and we were already, we already even had our lab, um, you oh. know, then I defended. So uh, uh -huh. we had to put a lot of, um, you know, we had to be careful with um, conflict of interest and all that. So we had to um, manage that uh, with my advisors. Um, and certainly yes. um, it was worth it. You know, I'm glad we did. Um, for us, it was really an opportunity that we had to, we really had to take, right? We had, um, it was, it, it was such a um, big, um, it was really novel and we were getting such an interest um, from both um, mm -hmm. industry and investors that we just could not mm -hmm. say, no, let's wait another yeah. like three, four months or a year before I, you know, so we had to move quickly. Um, and yeah, so that's how we started Glauconics a little bit before. And I had to manage, you know, also um, doing my, uh, def uh, my defense and my, um, you know, graduating officially, um, while still working at Glauconics. So. So I want to take a quick step back to introduce everybody to the premise of how Glauconics got started. And, um, if I may, I want to at least 
I've never, I've never mentioned the trabecular meshwork on this podcast before. So this is the first time, but <laughs> that's what my PhD was in and, uh, and, and Karen's as well, because basically what glauconics did, and I remember the first time I heard you give a presentation at the trabecular meshwork society, and I was so excited about what you were offering because for our listeners, the, the trabecular meshwork is a very small strip of tissue inside the eye. And if you think about like your kitchen sink, for example, in the front of your eye, you have a, you essentially have a faucet that's producing fluid. And then you have the trabecular meshwork, which is like your main drain. There's also a second drainage pathway. I kind of equate that to being more like the emergency drain, but like the trabecular meshwork is the main, is, is the first part of the main drain. And what's interesting about them is that this tissue has very interesting um, conformation and the cells essentially, I'm, I'm going to do my, my hammock like I always do for my visual aid. For, I know this is a podcast, but uh, for those watching on YouTube, it's essentially like a, almost like a knit hammock with like cross cross beams of extracellular matrix and these cells sit on this extracellular matrix. And normally, or I would say previously, we were growing TM cells on just flat cell culture plates or on glass substrate. Sometimes you might treat it with collagen to make it a little bit more realistic. But what Karen did with her expertise, and I'm gonna let you take it from here, was essentially she was able to create a 3D tissue model that mimics the in vivo environment for the trabecular meshwork. And that level of physiologic relevance actually makes whatever you're investigating that much more, I get for use the same word, that much more relevant to what you might actually see in the in vivo environment. And people have done studies to prove that. So I will let, I'll let you take it from here. Tell us, tell us more. Yeah. So after um, we had developed this technology um, and, and it was really exciting too, because, you know, you are not only, talking about the trabecular meshwork, you also have the Schlem canal, right? The inner wall of the Schlem canal. Yes. And that's also a big area of research. And when you get the cells out of the eye, you culture them on, on um, flask or Petri dishes, they lose a lot of their um, in vivo markers, right? Um, we found that in our model, we can actually maintain these markers, which was really exciting for us and for, you know, the field. Um, it, it, was, it was such a great opportunity to to really see that data and be able to put it out there um, that really got us um, connections right with pharmaceutical companies they wanted to use our technology they wanted to um, really uh, test some of their compounds and that's really how the idea of creating a business around this started um, it was really um, okay. the opportunity and like such a unique approach that really mm -hmm. could serve an admit need and you know they were asking for it so we we decided okay let's let's really see if this is really a viable business right so that's then we i started um i took a class like business class um into how to do a business plan and all these things that you have to do around a business 
um, and uh, really work into understanding, do this customer discovery, understanding is there a market for this? Um, so mm -hmm. dwelling more on the business side, which I had never thought about before, um, but I was able to learn because um, of the university I was in, they were really encouraging a lot of um, startups and innovations um, to out of the labs from, from the university. And so that really helped me. And it also got me to meet um, my uh, co-founder who actually still works with us right? Um, they're, they're the chief uh, science uh, officer. And uh, I think that's the really great, um, not science, I'm the chief science officer, he's the chief technology officer. And he's great. I mean, yeah. I, in that sense, uh, he had a lot of experience in pharma before, he's worked in pharma before. So that really helped to be able to balance out the kind of experiences and talents that we had um, to start Glauconics. So I think that's, I hope that answers a little bit of your questions or was able to follow through what you wanted me to um, discuss. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's talk briefly about IP or intellectual property. So how, uh, my understanding, I've never done this personally, but my understanding is that transferring intellectual property from a university setting to a company, if especially if you're going to start a company, using that IP uh, can be a very complex process um, and very convoluted. And so, how were you able to how were you able to navigate that? Yeah, it was certainly not black and white, right? Especially for okay. us, because our university, especially the like the College of Nanoscale Science and Engineering, where we came out, focuses so much in semiconductor industry, right? For biotech, it was fairly new, and they're they're actually used to doing this, right? They work with large semiconductor companies, and they transfer IP all the time, so it's kind of like a norm. They just had not done it for um, biotech, so I kind of navigate a little bit more than you normally would. Um, how to um, do the uh, the you know how to get the IP out of the university relinquish I guess to our lab um, and or license I should say because we ended up licensing it from uh, SUNY um, but for us it was a great experience working with SUNY we were able to work the terms um, they understood that right that we had started this from the beginning a lot of it was um, you know fairly new data that we had worked um, and and that it was um, and really, they were very fair with the with the terms. So actually, it was okay. it was a good experience. Um, I think what for me was very helpful is just going and telling them, you know, I don't know how to do this process. So, but can we make it work? Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, explaining that we had already clients interested or companies interested on the technology, and that I think helped a lot because they realize, okay, this is not just a technology that we're going to license and it's going to stay there. This is technology that's actually yeah. going to move forward. And actually the university was very, um, very helpful and really um, up to up to now, they still, you know, check on us, you know, how we're doing. They do get some royalties, right? So there are terms that we have to work on. Um, if we want to license it uh, outside of, of humanics, um, we would have to also um, negotiate those terms as well. We, so okay. it's, it's a lot of um, uh, a lot of discussions and a lot of paperwork, but I think for us, it was a great experience. And I think what helped was really knowing that we had already clients 
or potential clients interested on the technology. So, okay. Did you use a lawyer for that, or how did you how did you negotiate? Yes, we did. Um, we had to use a lawyer, um, and also I think just a lot of face to face, -to -face conversation. Right. The great thing was that I was still within the university, so I was able to go and talk to them in person. Um, so I was going to ask, um, where did this stand? Uh, can I talk to this other person? Um, so just doing the down and dirty work, right? Actually going and talking to them in person, because a lot of times, because it was fairly new, they would forget or not even forget, but it was they were trying to figure things out. So we're like, OK, let's go and try to figure out together. Let's let's. So it would just kind of kind of the idea of the, the squeaky wheel, the oil yeah. first. So. Um, yeah, sure. Came the squeaky wheel in a way, and they were very nice. So, <laughs> was like, how did you find the power to do that? I mean, that that sounds like something that would be really nerve wracking. I think it was really the fact that this was such a great opportunity, right? And it was such a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. We were seeing um, that the technology was so unique, um, and and again, we I just did it. Right. And I think that's the thing. Yeah. It, it does sound very daunting when you when we're talking about it. But I mean, I was already there. It didn't take much for me to walk, you know, a little bit to the office that was, you know, not too far from me and uh, and just try to have those discussions and, and just be be very open. Right. Um, I'm a scientist. Mm -hmm. This is not my field. But I'm trying to, you know, I understand that there is this opportunity. We have um, already clients interested and uh, can we do something? So I think just being very open with, you know, I really want to make this happen. Does the university want to make it happen? Yes or no, because we need to we need to act quickly. So I think just understanding that um, um, was very helpful. So I think or perhaps I was just very fortunate that they were great um, working uh, to work with. Um, for Glauconics. And then I guess they were, when they were dealing with you, they were still very down to earth and open to talking to you or did most of the heavy discussions have to happen between legal counsel or with the help of legal counsel? They were willing to talk to me. Um, they were very willing to talk okay. to me. So perhaps that helped a lot. Um, and uh, cool. also I had my advisors um, that, you know, knew who to talk to. So they were like, you know, um, again, they were very supportive. They're like, you know, she's going to take mm -hmm. this technology. She's going to start the company. We have nothing to do here. You know, it was our lab, but she's going to start the company. We're, but they were very helpful. Okay. So I think in that sense, it goes right. back to having those supportive people um, on your corner. Um, so that, that yeah. helped as well. How did you find those early clients or how did they find you? Is it from your peer reviewed articles? Mainly, yes, mainly from papers. So papers um, and then as we started, um, you know, uh, getting discussions with potential collaborators, the collaborators had worked, you know, they consult for some um, companies and then mm -hmm. we end up working with them that way. They end up um, learning about technology and being interested um, so it really happened mainly um, through the, the the science, right, that we put out there and uh, through discussions yeah. with other uh, key opinion leaders. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, in the early days, that must have been really scary to go from, I'm a, I'm a graduate student and now I'm 
I'm a, I, I woke up today, I was a chief scientific officer. What? How, how does that feel? <laughs> that must have been scary. You have, um, it, yeah, I, you know, it really was. But I, again, I think because the, te- the opportunity and the technology was there and, um, and we knew that if we did this, this could really help accelerate the development of drugs and, you know, it could bring, it could help millions of people by helping moving this um, along. Um, so I think that really is what pushed us to, um, to continue. So I think it was the natural, like what I say again, right, the, the passion around the science um, that, that moved yeah. forward and, 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 and just being a doer, right? Not, not sit still and expect everybody to just hand you everything, just go out and, and try to do it, try to ask, ask questions, don't be afraid to ask. True. Absolutely. And then how did you start meeting? Like, how did you meet your CEO? How did you meet some of the other folks that ended up being part of the executive team with you? Yeah. So um, actually our CEO, we had several CEOs for a while. Um, We were in search, right. And they were just not a good fit. Um, At the beginning when we were fairly, you know, when we were a startup, um, we, we didn't know what we were doing. Not that we didn't know what we were doing. We were at least to find someone that fits our culture and that we're able not just sitting down on their chair and tell us what to do, but that we're willing to actually put the work into. Um, I think it was it was a bit of a search, right? And finally, we got very fortunate um, to get, uh, um, I think the stars really aligned. Um, our current CEO happened to be having family around here. They had already worked uh, extensive experience in Boston, right? In other companies, biotech companies, and they wanted to move in, she wanted to move in, in this area. And it just happened that uh, we met uh, through a mu- mutual friend and um, and she's great. She was a great fit. Um, and I'm, I'm really gra- yeah. grateful to have her there because again, you need to know what you don't know. And I just know that there are certain things I can't do and she's an expert. So in, in those things, or I should say she has way more experience on those areas um, than I do so we can balance each other very well. Um, one, there's one woman in particular that I think you and I both would consider uh, a mentor of sorts. And one of her favorite sayings is, uh, it basically, it's okay to not know, you, but you hire the people who do. Yes, know. I think she gave you the same advice. You, you yes, I know exactly, and and I think that's also what helped me. That's what I, I kept thinking. You know, you really, especially when you're starting a company, um, you need to make sure that you don't have everybody being a scientist and having just one trait, right? One strength. You yeah. want to make sure that you balance it out and you get the business side and you get the legal side and you get the, the, the um, industry experience and then those who are heavy science um, oriented. So that really helped at the beginning. And now as we're growing, you know, we realize how those foundations were extremely important. Um, so I agree. I yeah. second that you really do have to make sure that you know what you don't know. And then once you realize what you don't know, hire the people to do <laughs> so. Yeah. I love that. And then looking at your company, so the people in charge at your company and a lot of your employees, it's it's so different from a lot of the other companies whose websites I see. And 
I, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but uh, a lot of uh, a lot of chief executives at major companies are tend to be older white men. And um, yeah, to me personally, I look at that when I when I consider job opportunities or when I consider, you know, um, who's my current company partnering with, you know, it's just, it's just, it's a little reflective to me, but what I've always loved about Humanics is that your company is full of just these powerhouse women. And it just seems like this incredible environment that you and your co-founder and your fellow executives have managed to create. A, did you, was that a conscious decision on your part or is this due to your amazing female mentors in grad school? How, how did that end up happening? I think it really happened organically. You know, it, it happened organically. Okay. Um, and uh, the, the, the folks that we interview happened to be women, like the best um, equipped for the job that we were looking at that point. Mm -hmm. um, they happened to be best suited and happened to also be women. So um, that's how we just, awesome. it happened organically. And also I think our advisors to um, one of them in particular was like, you know, one of her dreams is like everybody from her lab would be hired by Humonics, right? So she would, for yeah. us, it was more, and, and uh, she happened to have a lot of women. Um, I'm not sure if intentionally or not. Um, and so we ended up working with a lot of them. They they already, they had great experience uh, that they gained during um, working with the lab from my uh, former mentors. So then they end up working with us and, and it, it's been great. So I think it, it to answer your questions, it just kind of happened organically. And I'm, I'm glad that it did because they're all, like you said, they're powerhouses. So I'm really proud of my team, totally. really. Yeah, you have some amazing people who work there. And I, I genuinely love talking to you guys. Like, even if I didn't have business with you, I, I, I think the last conference I was at, I ran into your booth and I just sat down and had lunch with you guys because I just have so much fun you know, talking and to I the think, people on I your team. I think that's something very company. important that we cannot forget, right? And then we get this a lot from our clients that not a lot of CROs are like that, right? That we get to, that you feel so comfortable that you actually, and then as we discuss and we have this friendly type of meetings. We're also talking about science and we get to learn more about how we can work together, how we can better the study that we're doing. And I think that's also something important. Don't forget that this is not just, yes, it is a business. Yes, we are moving science forward, but at the end of the day, we're all people and you need to have these conversations that are very candid, right? Even negative, you, you don't yeah. really share a lot of negative data, but when you're in the conversation, you may actually discuss some of that and that actually may help and improve some of that. Um, and I think that's something that we hear a lot, that our clients are able to do that with us, have those conversations um, and, and, and realize that, you know, we're also people. And so. Yeah, yeah for sure. So if anyone's listening who might be interested in starting a company after graduate school or after their postdoc and doing something similar to what you did, I guess what what would be the best use of their time now that would prepare them for something so like that? If they're young and they are entrepreneurial and they know they want to go into doing a business or starting a business, I would definitely suggest go and get an MBA, right? Go and get an MBA because that's okay. really going to be helpful. If you know right off the bat that, 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 you, that you want to be, um, you know, uh, in entrepreneurship at all. Um, and if you are not sure, again, it goes back to what we said 
earlier, know what you don't know and don't forget to ask questions. I think that's extremely, um, extremely important. So I think those are my couple of pieces of advice depending on um, whether you already know that you wanna go into industry mm -hmm. and if you're not sure, well then just mm -hmm. make sure that you're asking questions and trying to learn more. Uh, and do you have an MBA? I don't. I don't. But I, sometimes I wish I did. But again, know what you don't okay. know. What you don't know. And so I surrounded myself with people that that do, and they have experience. So that yeah. actually helped a lot. So. Yeah, because um, when I was trying to make the decision of whether or not I wanted to pursue an MBA, I did ask a number of people at the company I was at at the time, uh, particularly those who did have have MBAs. And the results were actually a mixed bag because some people said, you know, some people were very observant and they know me and they said, you're, you're the type of person who likes to learn things and likes like a, a traditional classroom setting in a way, you know, like formalized learning rather than like ad hoc reading articles on the internet and stuff, um, which is true about me. Other people said, don't waste your money. You can find just about anything you need to learn on the internet or in a book or in a podcast, you know? So um, I guess when you say you wish you had gotten an MBA, like what, what advantage do you think that would have given well, you? I think it might've helped me to think of this as a business from the beginning, right? And I think maybe make things okay. going a little faster. Um, but I think in the end, being able to take those classes, you know, of, so a lot of people that were doing their MBA took these classes, right, that I ended up taking at the university. So that actually helped a lot. Um, but if you are already, okay. in my case, I don't, I didn't necessarily say I'm going to start a company when I was young. Right? My dream was not necessarily I'm going to start a company. But if you know already that as you're starting grad school, that yeah. you do want to um, go in and in, go into the entrepreneurial side, then I think I would recommend um, getting an MBA because otherwise you're right. You can learn a lot in podcast classes and such. So um, I think what you're saying is mm -hmm. completely correct. I, I, I second everything you said. Yeah. <laughs> so then um, let's talk about hiring because with my target audience, they might be hearing some of the things that you're saying about this amazing environment that you have and, um, or certainly reading about other companies that they might be interested in. For you personally, um, what do you look for in prospective new hires? Like what, what makes somebody rise to the top and catch your eye? Um, I think first of all, that they have relevant experience to the job that we're looking at, right? Okay. That's always one of the best things. Um, one of the things that we're always looking for. Um, also that they have diverse um, strengths than the ones we currently have in our labs. Um, because we always want mm. people, um, the, in, their skills might be very unique, and that also enhances the environment, at least when we talk about the lab, enhances that that environment and that learning um, it, uh, um, that's going to happen because they're going to have to learn the technology. And then we also want them to have an input, 
right? Is there something that you think could be done different? A lot of the new models that we're developing come from that, right? Those discussions with um, some uh, um, new hiree that happened to have uh, an expertise in XYZ and they said, well, this very similar to this other tissue, let's work on that. And it's like, great, they take on the lead on starting working and that's really what starts innovation. So I think, again, having those skills that are unique to um, our team, it's very important. Um, and uh, someone who has worked with uh, new technologies that we may not necessarily be completely familiar with, it's great because again, it, it brings mm -hmm. us up to speed in a way, um, uh, uh, diversity again, right? Bringing back that uh, those new technologies um, uh, into a lot of the work that we're doing. Um, so, so I think those are the biggest thing, relevant experience, um, strength or skills in, uh, uh, that are unique to our team. I think those are the biggest. Okay. Um, I've been asked in the past. And so since you brought up relevant experience, I want to ask you this. Um, someone asked me once, what percentage of qualifications, like if you're looking at a job listing, Sorry, uh, just got some weird feedback there. <laughs> Thank you so much again to Dr. Karen Torahan for speaking with me today. Again, I do apologize about the sound quality towards the end. We're going to work on it and we're going to get better as each episode goes by. So we appreciate your patience. One last thing, I do want to give a very special shout out to the pharmacology and neuroscience students at Loyola University Chicago who welcomed me last weekend for a seminar about careers outside academia and invited me to participate in some of their St. Albert's Day celebrations. It was wonderful to be back at my alma mater. Pretty much nothing has changed structurally and um, it was an absolutely fantastic experience. So thank you to those students and thank you all for listening. See you next time.